about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. first passage this morning comes from John chapter 19 verses 28 to 37 and you can follow along um, in the church bibles on pages 1073. Later knowing that everything had now been finished And so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man, who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from Psalm chapter 34. If you've got one of these, if you found one of these church Bibles, it's on page 550. Uh, Psalm 34, from verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, And the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. 
no one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. Well, good morning. On this Good Friday, it is good to be with you and with this little one. Do you want to take a seat, Lewis? No. <laughs> Why don't you go sit down with your friend, hey? Thanks, buddy. Um, as I greeted people as they came in, there's a strangeness as Joe's tried to pick up on on what to say, whether it's good eat, happy Easter, Good Friday. There's also a somberness to what's happening today. And as we read this passage uh, from John's Gospel, we cannot help but be gripped by the somberness, the sorrowfulness of it, and yet as we'll find a goodness in it this morning. This is going to be a short address as we simply focus on three verses of John 19. In fact, I'm only going to focus on three words, particularly of those three verses, and that is, I am thirsty, or more simply, I thirst. Many of us don't really know what it means to truly thirst. I mean, I mow the lawns and I get thirsty. I go for a bike ride, I get thirsty. I've never really thirsted in the category that we're looking at today. The closest I could think of was a mate of mine who went to um, Mount Solitary in the Blue Mountains and uh, took his day pack and uh, not a map, (laughs) and off he went and got lost. And after two days with no water... They began, he and his mate began to thirst in a way that they had not experienced before. So they began to cramp, they experienced chronic stomach pain, they became delirious. So delirious that they began to thirst for things they shouldn't have thirsted for, like scungy pond water or puddle water. And they actually got really sick from that, and they had to be rescued by the Westpac helicopter. That's a moment of severe thirst, where you are so focused on your body's need for water that you would drink even the scungy water from a puddle, knowing that it will make you sick. When Jesus says, I thirst, but the first thing we, we see in that is the agony, the anguish of what he's experiencing. Now, the other Gospels make reference to uh, him being offered wine and gall, which is kind of like a poison, uh, kind of a a numbing agent, because it was so well known that the cross was excruciating. In fact, that's where we get the word excruciating from, from the crucifixion. They made up a word for the pain of crucifixion. It was so severe. But yet from the other Gospels, we hear that Jesus refused to take that. Earlier that day, he had been flogged nearly to the point of death. He had been beaten. A crown of thorns had been pushed into his skull. And he carried the cross until exhaustion overtook him and he needed assistance. And now he had been hanging on the cross through the nails in his feet and his hands for six hours in the Middle Eastern sun. And as he exerted himself, pushing up on the nails in his feet, that he might just fill his lungs with air, 
and then fall into the nails in his wrist, again crushing his lungs. And that went on for six hours. So when he says, I thirst, he really means he is in anguish and in need. The blood loss alone would have made him hypovolemic, a loss of blood fluid, and through the exertion of the day, he would have been severely dehydrated. He says he thirsts in a truly and utterly needy way. And so the soldiers respond and lift up a sponge of sour wine to moisten the lips, really just so that Jesus can push out a couple of more words, another utterance. I guess it would be easy to think that Jesus has lost control as his body gives out on him. This king of the Jews, as the sign says on the cross, and yet there he is, pathetic, almost lifeless, shameful, dying this morbid death on a criminal's cross. It would be easy to think that he's now fully lost control. But yet, John is very careful in giving us the full spectrum of what's happening here. Because it's not as simple as Jesus is at his end and is losing control. It's more than just anguish that he speaks of when he says, I thirst. So you see, John was at the cross himself. And throughout the gospel, he refers to himself as the beloved disciple. And he, and he writes later on in this passage, the man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you might believe. That's John's enigmatic way of saying, I was there. And, and what I am giving you is what I experienced. I'm showing you what, Jesus, what happened to Jesus on that day. And yet John is also able to give us a broader context because he's writing this on the other side of all that happens, with his mind and heart open to the fullness of God's will and plan unfolding in Jesus' life, death and resurrection. And so when John writes Jesus' words, I thirst, he actually precedes it with something else. Did you read that with us? So just keep that passage open. We're only looking at a few verses. Verse 28, later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I thirst. So it's not just that he's in anguish. Jesus remains in control. He's actually weaving every moment of his fading life through the waypoints of prophecy so that he might demonstrate that God is in control. Early on in John's Gospel, in John's chapter 10, John writes, the reason, this is Jesus speaking, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I've received from my Father. What Jesus is saying so clearly then before all this unfolds is that Jesus is doing this out of obedience to the Father willingly and freely out of love and that he is in control of what's happening. So as the spectators look on at Jesus to see what people are doing to him, he's actually still in control. 
And so when he says, I thirst, he's actually going through another waypoint of prophecy to show this is all part of God's plan. And so when Jesus says, I thirst, it's likely he's quoting Psalm 69, the scriptures that Jesus knew so well. And in that psalm we read, for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Jesus knew that when he said he was thirsty, that the soldiers would give him this, this sour wine, this wine vinegar. And that psalm is, is about a desperate prayer for salvation. Come near and rescue me, the psalmist writes. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. And there is Jesus on the cross, praying that prayer in those words, I am thirsty. And John is quick to note how Jesus is doing that. So in these three simple words, I am thirsty, Jesus is expressing his anguish. He's showing that he is in control and fulfilling scripture. But yet, there's another dimension as well. Because throughout John's gospel, John picks up on this idea of water and thirst several times before we get to this point. And he's just expressing what Jesus is doing. It's not really even John's idea. John's just bringing to, to the fore what Jesus has been doing in his life. So, for instance, Jesus says in John chapter 6, whoever believes in me will never thirst. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Is Jesus talking about water? Not physically so much. He's using that as a metaphor to talk about our spiritual thirst. The, the thirst of our soul. Or the woman at the well in chapter 4 who comes to drink literal water because she is literally thirsty. But Jesus says, if you knew who you were asking, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. We are thirsty creatures, but nothing will quench us until we are spiritually satisfied. And we will never be spiritually satisfied until we are reunited with the God who made us and who loves us. For we were made to enjoy him, and we will constantly thirst until we find him until he finds us. And so on that cross, what Jesus craved above all things, above even the wine vinegar, was the glory of the Father. He thirsted for God. There is Jesus on the cross thirsting for God. And that becomes even clearer when the wine vinegar just loosens his lips to say one more thing. That final utterance of Jesus. It is finished. What does he mean by that? Well, his life, obviously, at one level, because at that point he hands over his spirit and bows his head and dies on the cross. But, but it is more than just his life because his whole life has been a testimony to the work the Father gave him. 
that he did with authority and voluntarily. And so we read in John 17, just a couple of chapters before, the kind of the high priestly prayer of Jesus, one of the most dense and rich and beautiful prayers in all of Scripture. Jesus says, I have brought you glory on earth, he prays to the Father, by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Now, Jesus knew the Father intimately and had enjoyed intimacy and glory and love from all eternity. And now as he prays, leading into what he knows what will happen next, his own crucifixion, he prays, now glorify me like the glory we had together so that all might see it. And that's what's happening here. The crucifixion is showing us the glory of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, all working in unison that we might be reunited with God. If you want to see the glory of God, you see the extent of that, the extravagance of that, when you see how much God showed his love for us in Jesus dying on the cross, that we might be brought into that glory with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But there's even more to this simple phrase, it is finished. His life is finishing. His work to glorify the Father and bring us into that glory is playing out. But the Greek word telestai, coming from kind of uh, perfection to complete, is actually often used in accounting sort of terms to designate paid in full. And so when Jesus says, it is finished, he is saying, it is paid in full. And here we see the purpose of what Jesus has endured. And we have to see this because he endured such extravagant pain and suffering on the cross under Roman judgment, but ultimately under God's judgment. He did all of that for us. So we read in Mark's gospel, the Son of God in all his glory came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life As a ransom, Jesus poured himself out to ransom us, to pay the cost in full, to reconcile us. For we deserved God's just judgment. And Jesus stepped into that place and said, I will take that. I will pay that in full. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus has has stepped into your place to receive God's just judgment on your behalf so that you might be set free? So the judgment set upon you would be paid in full. The cross is a confronting sight. Every Easter I come to this and I am reconfronted with it again. I'd rather say, oh, Jesus, you shouldn't have. It's too much. I didn't deserve that. Maybe a slap on the wrist. But this is crucifixion. And yet because Jesus, who is in authority, 
who knows the glory from eternity to eternity, did this, I can't help but say, what have I done? Oh my goodness, I am in desperate need, for I am a sinner. See, the thing is, I, I don't thirst like Jesus did. I don't long for God. I don't feel I need him. You know, as I said, when, when, you're, when you're thirsty, everything else fades away, like really thirsty, and all you long for, all that will satisfy you is water. I don't, I don't live in a way that says all I need is God. And the only reason I do that is because I, I don't see God for who he is. I don't see the truth of his, of his majesty, of his beauty, of his lordship. And my life looks like a guy who's got it in his own control. I don't see him as I ought. And yet, Jesus thirsted for me on behalf of me. What he endured, what he agonized through, how he longed for the Father, how he thirsted for me. In doing all that he did for me on the cross, he has paid in full for every shortcoming of mine, every sin of mine, everything I couldn't complete. He has perfected. He has finished. He has paid in full. And so even though I don't thirst for God as I should, as I ought to, when I look at Jesus and see what he has done for me, I am left with three responses that I just cannot help but respond with. And the first one is sorry. Sorry that you had to go through that for me. Sorry for what I've done. Sorry I've offended you. But out of that wells a gratitude that, that I can barely express. I kind of with the psalmist here, who am I that you would do this for me and yet you have done it for me and so I want to say thank you. I want my life to, to live out a gratitude for a gift so big that I could never repay. And thirdly, to love God, to grow in my thirst for him, to see the joy, to find the joy of loving God because he loved me first and to such an extravagant length and extent. This love is the new orientation of my life. Jesus has brought me into a whole new way of being. And these three things seem to me to be the markers of a Christian life. So that every day his mercies are new every morning. Where I can look at Jesus and say sorry. And thank you. And I love you. And out of that I turn away from the way I used to live. And find a fresh, find a new, the joyous life the humble life, the God-glorifying life.
all because of what Jesus has done for me. So my prayer for us today is that we might look upon the somber cross and see that all that Jesus went through in his anguish, in his fulfillment of scriptures, in his spiritual thirsting for God, and in his finishing of the work God gave for him to do, to bring us to himself. And out of that, we might be set free. So let me pray that now. Father, we are sorry for, for what we've done in not seeing you for who you are and not living a life that glorifies you. Father, would you show us in our life the parts of our lives that, that don't honour you, that don't say that you are God? And as we bring that out before you, would you, would you change us? Would you reshape us? Would you help us to be grateful, so much so for the extravagant gift of what Jesus has given us in forgiving us, in paying the price for us? And Father, with all these things in play, would you, by the power of your Spirit, propel us into a life of love, as we respond to how you loved us first in the death of Christ and the forgiveness of sins, we pray. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.